I'm going to start today over in the book of John, a couple of passages. If you would first look with me over at John chapter 1, and we're looking at about, uh, I'll look at about verse uh, 42, 43. And actually, back up with me if you would. Just a few verses. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus had said and who had followed him. Listen carefully and follow John. The first thing, say that with me, the first thing. thing. Say it again, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Everybody say the first thing. Then looking down about verse 44 again. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So you see here, the first thing that Andrew does, he brings his, his brother, Peter. Philip, his first instinct is to bring Nathaniel along. And I look over at uh, Scripture in chapter 4, in verse uh, 27 and 28, you'll recognize this story as Jesus meets with a woman at the well, and Jesus says to her, go and call your husband, and she says, I don't have one. And he says, you've answered correctly because you've had five husbands, and the man that you have right now is not your husband. Let me know that'll get your attention real quick. (laughs) And he meets with her and she has an encounter. He explains to her about the the well of water that will refresh forever. And the Bible says, just then his disciples returned, verse 27, and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving your water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. On the verse 39 through 42, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Let me say this again. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Five times married and divorced in an adulterous affair, and this is who God chooses to use. Notice I said God chooses. We're going to find out in these last days that what man would honor and what man would think usable, God would say, no, I'm going to use somebody else. It's going to surprise a lot of people. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Now watch this. The first thing Andrew does, he tells Peter and brings Peter. First thing uh, Philip wants to do is bring Nathaniel to the Messiah. 
First thing this woman wants to do when she goes back in is tell them about the man that told her everything she ever did. You see a pattern here. This is what I would tell you is an assert to you today that this is the primary focus for a person who is a Christian. Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save them that are lost. The focus in Ephesians 4 is being brought to the unity of the faith, not the unity of thought or doctrine. There are so many other things that have crowded out in the body of Christ and pushed out the main thing, the main priority, the main focus. Primary, primary means, number one, in priority and effort. Say that with me, primary. Focus means the thing you zero in on, you look at, you magnify in your Christian life. We need to return to the primary focus of inviting people to Jesus and inviting people to his church. Let me say that again. We need to return to the primary focus of inviting people to Jesus and inviting people to his church. Because that's how lives are changed. You know, there are two great indicators of spiritual health and vitality in your life. One is, Jesus said it best, you know, you're going to know them by their fruit. If there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, amen, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, there's something going on in their life that's right. The other thing is simply this, their focus on reaching the unreached and telling the untold. You and I are not healthy if we are not bearing fruit, and you and I are not healthy Christians if we are not reaching out, inviting people to Jesus or inviting them to his church where encounters can take place. Everything else is replaces as the primary focus. Or we think that's somebody else's job or somebody else's gift or I don't have the gift of doing that. No, there is no gift of evangelism in terms of you sharing your own story. There's a gift of evangelists for the church to be perfected as the saints are perfected, but everybody is called to do what this woman did. And notice she didn't have a bachelor's, a master's, or a PhD in theology. And if you think that the, the shepherds were scorned, as, as you know, Todd pointed out, what do you think this adulteress was, was, how she was viewed in that village? And yet, when you tell somebody about Jesus, miracles happen. Are you here today? There are people focusing on the body of Christ today on everything but the primary focus. They have what I call the gift of offense. <laughs> Just drop a hat and boom, they'll be offended over that. And all these things have done is pushed us off of why we really exist. And I want to remind you, the clock is ticking. There's not much time left. The time spent and all these other matters and all these other focuses are just robbing us of the opportunity to get people to heaven from Murray, Kentucky, which is our assignment. Right. How many of the devil wants to get him to hell from Callaway County? We want to get him to heaven from here. Well, what are they focusing on? Things like clothing, what we should wear, what we shouldn't wear, whether it's skinny jeans or dresses. Gene Jackson was the superintendent of the Tennessee district for years and years and years, and he pastored in the Nashville area. And one day, a hooker came into his church, not dressed in a dress, but in a hooker attire. And a deacon went up to her and said, you can't come to church dressed like this. And the pastor was standing about 20 feet away and heard the exchange. He walked up to him like this and took his finger and jabbed it in his stomach and said, if I ever hear you do that again, I'll personally wipe the parking lot with the seat of your pants. Do you understand me? He said, oh my goodness, I'd get offended if a pastor did that. Exactly, because 
we focus on everything but what's important. What Jean Jackson knew is that the woman needs to get saved before you change her exterior clothes, you change her heart. And the only way it's going to happen is that she's received there long enough to hear the word for the glory of God. Are you here today? With all this emphasis, they're not wearing the right thing. They don't look the right part. No, it's not about that. Small wars have been fought through centuries over music. It's too fast. It's too slow. They use a harp. They don't use a harp. They have a cantor. They don't have a cantor. They have a choir. They don't have a choir. They use an organ. They don't use an organ. And dear God, they have guitars up there. Lots of them. And drums. The Bible does say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It does say that. In fact, in Ephesians, where the Bible says, sing psalms, hymns, and, and spiritual songs, it literally means, when you translate that correctly, it means to play a stringed instrument as you sing. So if you've been told that instruments should be banned, that's just another example of what doesn't matter. I personally like having a band up here. It covers how I sound. Yes, amen. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. It covers you too. My brother-in-law, Ben Priest, was singing one day and worshiping God. Just he thought, my, I really sound good. And then it dawned on him. He was just harmonizing with the guy next to him. He really didn't sound all that good. <laughs> Small wars. Look at somebody and say, who cares? Who cares? <clears throat> okay, you get your music, but have you told anybody about the Lord lately? Are you here today? Amen. Doctrinal issues. Arguing over hell or no hell. We're well, here for the record. There's a hell to avoid. Right. Miracles, signs and wonders. Well, those are just to prove Jesus is divine. Well, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But that's not the primary thing. Fighting over the things of the Holy Spirit. Is he real? Is his ministry today real? Is the baptism real? Do I need the baptism real? I don't want to be one of those weird tongue talkers. Well, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting over prosperity. Fighting over whether God wants to bless you. There's a, a contractor in town, and he's famous for slamming our church. Those people are faith people. Those people are prosperity people. And then this man, I know in several examples, cheats people to get prosperity. Yeah. At least we're honest about it. Yes. You believe in prosperity. You just don't want to do it God's way. Preaching better y'all are looking at me right now. Amen. Oh, I can be officially non-prosperity about everything I do in my life is to acquire blessing anyway. How, how hypocritical. Are you here today? Amen. Those faith people, they fight over eternal security. Can you lose your salvation? Do you keep your salvation? I'm keeping mine. Yeah. I suggest you do one thing. Just be ready. Yeah. Regardless of your doctrine. Fighting over the prophetic. Is it real? Is it not real? Is that a word of God? It's just listen to me. The main thing should be kept the main thing. All these other things are to serve the primary focus of the church, not replace it. Can I have him an amen? amen? The return of the Lord. Is he coming pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? He's coming. I suggest you be ready. I know what I believe. I'm personally going up in the first load. But if you're bound and determined to hang around to see this three-ring circus breaking out, go right ahead. Amen. But can I tell you this? You're going up one day whether you like it or not. I'm convinced there are some Christians going to say, no, all the way up. You're not going to have that decision. If Christ is in you, the hope of glory, you're going up. Is it worth fighting over? 
No. All this, all this talk about doctrine, all this heresy hunting going on right now. Everybody's got a Facebook page. Everybody's got a YouTube channel. Everybody has got a book or a booklet or a mini book or a magazine. Fight and find those heresy hunters, you know, and talking about all this doctrinal stuff. Let me tell you something. What matters is, do you know the Lord and have you done anything to get somebody else to heaven from Murray, Kentucky? Regardless of your pet doctrine. Neo-Judaism has moved back into the mainstream of the American church. If you don't keep the festivals, what festivals do you keep? Then somehow you can't be a real believer. A real Christian would keep the festival. No, a real Christian would keep Jesus. Amen. Celebrate the festivals if you want. Amen. Get meaning in the typology, but nothing's going to replace Jesus. And don't add anything to Jesus for our salvation basis. It's not scriptural. <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah, believe what you believe. The most important thing is, what do you believe about the primary focus? Yes. You can argue doctrine, argue about the Holy Spirit, argue about miracles, argue about the timing of the return of the Lord, and you won't get one person saved. You can explain that to the Lord someday, how you defended the faith. And Jesus says, well, how many people did you get here? Well, none, but I defended the faith. You didn't defend anything. Semantics become real popular today to argue over semantics. Things like, what do you call a sermon? They'll say, well, sermon's not in the Bible. All it means is a word for a message, declaring God's word. Heralding, kerygma is in the Bible. But is that what matters? No. What matters, some of you think, is that he doesn't sermon very long. That's what matters. Not what you call it. Words like the rapture. That word has its origin in, in Latin, and it simply means seizing and carrying off. That word's not in the Bible, so it must not be real. There are a lot of things, that the actual terms aren't in the Bible, but the catching away of the church is described in the Bible. And look at somebody and say, we're going to stick to the Bible. <laughs> Fighting over the name of Jesus. The latest one that came down the pike the past couple of months is those of us that say the name Jesus are incorrectly saying his name. I remember an angel who said, and his name shall be called Jesus. If you look at it in the original language and you'll see how it's translated into our language, it's perfectly the name of God. What's the point? It's like, I want somebody to look at me, follow me, give me a like. This is what matters. No, what matters is if you call him Jesus, Lord of Lords, Master, King of Kings, Wonderful, Counselor, Amen, Mighty God, El Elyon, whatever you call him, make sure you know him and start introducing other people to him. Amen. That is what matters. <laughs> Altar calls, not in the Bible. It's from the 19th century where somebody began to do this and it took on. Who cares where they get saved? Can I tell you something, though? People do get powerfully saved in an altar. But technically, an altar is a place where you die. That's not inconsistent with somebody coming down to give their life to Christ and rising up to serve Him. What's the big deal? Oh, how you get saved or that you get saved? <laughs> Accepting Jesus, that's not in the Bible. Can I tell you something? People receive the Lord in a variety of ways. As long as they have repented of their sin 
and they believed in the heart God raised Jesus from the dead. And they say Jesus is Lord with their mouth. You and I are out of it. That's none of our business. There's a million ways for people to come in terms of mechanics to the Lord. They're not doing it right. Even legalistic about how you receive Jesus. Boy, isn't that stuff just tiring. I'm tired talking about it. And that's not even the whole list. Christmas trees, pagan, bad, evil, wicked. I hope you enjoy them. <laughs> Got a few more out there. There's one in the office. I have three of them in my house. <laughs> they use the scripture from Jeremiah to justify this. Jeremiah says, hear the word, the word the Lord speaks to you, house of Israel. This, thus says the Lord, do not learn the way the Gentiles do not be dismayed of the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed of them. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of his hands, and the workman with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a plum tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor do they do any good. He's not talking about Christmas trees with lights that remind us of the light of the world. Our family heirlooms as you celebrated memories of walking with God as a family. He's speaking of fashioning an idol from a piece of wood. Isaiah explained it this way. With one end of the log, they carve out an idol and bow down to it. With the other end of the log, they warm themselves at a fire. That's how powerful their God is. They have mouths that can't speak. They have ears that can't hear. But instead of interpreting rightly the word of God, they reduce it to something like this. Culturally contextualizing, instead of contextualizing the word of God in the way it was written and meant to the original hearer. Are you here today? Yes. Some of you are like, oh, praise the Lord, because i got 15 in my house. I don't want to take them down. <laughs> Sharon, you need to leave right now if you're going to deal with this message. Amen. <laughs> Just make it the big deal. Big deal. Christmas tree or not, wreath or not, lights or not, amen. Whether you make a big deal or a little bit, whether you watch Hallmark or not. <laughs> are you saved? And are you getting people there? That's the primary focus. <laughs> Social justice warriors and politicians in the church. That's fine that you're paying attention to what's going on, but not at the expense of eternal life. Win an election and watch those people that got defeated go to hell. That's not our call. Focusing on social justice and things like reparations. Can I tell you something? There's nothing just for one person paying for the crimes and sins of somebody else. Period. That's what happens when you get off of spiritual justice, which is worked by the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're not careful, you become the social justice church. And you're going to right every wrong. No, our fundamental call is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. To seek and to save them that are lost. Can I tell you something? It don't make any difference if you vote independent, Republican, Democrat, or didn't vote at all. What really matters is, are you walking with him and leading others to Christ? Because you can still, you know, get your candidate elected and end up in hell. Are you here today? And you and I know some candidates, they go in there. No doubt about it. <laughs> Pastor uses the NIV, NLT, ESV, Amplified, Message, J.B. Phillips. He should only use 
the King James Version. Because everybody knows that's the version the Apostle Paul used. <laughs> no, my brother, my sister, uh, he used uh, Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. The uh, English version hadn't come out yet. For those of you who think that. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's a beautiful translation and, and highly accurate. Many of you grew up on it. You memorized it. And I'm not making fun of it. But when somebody comes to my office, as I did years ago, and told me that I don't believe in these newfangled translations, you should only be using this. And I said, boy, you're passionate about this, aren't you? He said, oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, do you spend a lot of time on this issue? Yes, yes. How much time? Hours, hours every single day. I said, that's great. And I said, all this time, how many years have you been doing this? Years, 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 like 14 years. And all those years, have you ever led anybody to Christ? You hear those crickets? I don't care what translation that you have. Make sure you read the one you have. But more importantly, do what it says. I was out of the service one day, and Kelly was scheduled to speak. Everybody say, God bless Kelly. God bless Kelly. And uh, she was reading from the NIV. And this fellow came in there, and he saw that it was the NIV, and he saw a woman. In the pulpit, mind you, that Joel said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters would prophesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he stood up, made a big noise, walked back to the back, pushed open the doors. And if I could find the, the usher, the greeter that did this, I'd give him a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> they opened up the outside doors and they smiled and said, have a nice day. <laughs> That's how you handle nonsense like that. Oh, 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 NIV, oh, oh, from a woman's preacher. You may listen to some women ministries, you might learn something. Some of you men need to listen to your women. Moving right along. Yeah, Pastor, you had me right till then. Listen to my wife? No, I've been training 20 years not to. All of a sudden, you want me to listen? Yeah, they'll keep you out of a lot of ditches. Yes, yes everybody say good amen to that. Amen. Unbelievable. How many people did you invite to church? How many so? Oh, none, but this is the big, this is the big deal. <laughs> I probably have more Bibles than anybody you know. And not just Bibles like, you know, cheap leather covers and hardback. I mean, the finest leather in the world. And you can't have them. <laughs> I love the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying to you? But that's not the primary focus is how many you can collect. Are you here today? My friend Mark Randall actually was given an actual page from, I believe it was what? It was an original Tyndale, wasn't it? Uh, just a page of it was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. It had a frame around it. What a wonderful thing. But the important thing to do was what? Is to obey whatever that piece of paper says. Yes, amen. <laughs> then there's the building design critics that are out there. They're all about the building. You can't have church in a building like this. You can't have church without a spire. You can't have church without a steeple. Somebody donated $1,500 in Hopkinsville where I pastored for a steeple fund. We didn't have a steeple fund. Amen. <laughs> 
can you have church without a steeple? Can you have church without pews? Amen. Can you have church without seats at all like they do over in East Africa? Yes, you can. Amen. But the funniest thing that's ever happened on this property is Jerry Henley, when he pastored here, over in the domes, if you'll notice, those domes are made out of triangles that are all bolted together. And then those sections are bolted to another section. And a couple came up to him after service one day and said, uh, we can't come to this church. I said, well, why not? Because it's made out of triangles. <laughs> Beware of the triangle. Beware of geometry. I can't go to church because of what? Yeah, that's what really matters. I bet you it freaked out some of my Lutheran brethren when they found out in Paris, Tennessee, that the board of directors there decided to convert a strip club into a church. And guess what? They did it. So Lutheran Church south of Paris that used to be a strip club. I like the idea so much. There was another strip club without a business. We almost put our church down there that we planted. In a strip club, Lord opened up some other kind of thing. You can't do it. God can't. Hey, listen, you control the atmosphere with your faith. You sanctify and consecrate everything. Amen? It's important to understand that. Then there's potluck church. Their focus is completely internal. As long as there's good food, good fellowship, hallelujah, we a good family. We all just, I'm the daddy, you're the kids, we're all in a good place. That's great. But is your family expanding by reaching out? No, but we have good potlucks and occasionally food poisoning. But we just pray over that. <laughs> we just pray over that. <laughs> Fighting over evangelism, the methods of evangelism. You do it right. We don't do it right. You do this. We do, we do it relationally, preacher. What we do is we get together with somebody at a coffee shop and then over the next six months to five years, we look for an opportunity to Sow Jesus in there. That's great if you want to do it that way. Can I tell you something? Jesus had three years, and when it came to winning Zacchaeus, he did not wait for a dinner party six months from then. You see this? Mark Randall was aggressive on campus, as were the college students and continue to be. Some people don't like that aggressiveness sharing Christ. If you really believe there's a heaven and hell, you're going to do everything you can to get people to heaven, amen, and keep them from going to hell. There's a criminal in, in, in Britain years ago named Makepeace, and he was being let off to be you know, executed for his crimes. And there was a priest alongside of him preaching about the word and telling about Jesus and how to avoid hell. And he finally stopped and he said, Preacher, if I believe what you're saying, I would, I would absolutely crawl against England on my bare hands and knees or be covered with glass to win one convert. You ought to be aggressive on campus. We don't reach them on campus. We may never reach those kids ever. That's what the, the facts prove. Does that make sense? So one of them came to him real haughty, came to Mark one time and said, I just don't approve of your efforts and methods of evangelism. And he said very wisely, well, what methods are you using? What are you doing? Well, we're not doing that. We're not doing any of that. And Mark said these classic words, I like my method of doing evangelism better than your lack of a method. Come on, say it, the prime focus. The prime. Say it, the primary focus. The primary focus. 
When our focus is wrong, there are some serious consequences to it. But I want to say to you that some feel they've been given the ministry of correction in the body of Christ, and there is no such ministry. Our primary focus should be reaching the unreached and telling the untold, not impeaching the reached and scolding the told. The primary purpose of some Christians is correcting everybody else. Impeach means to bring charges against, to call into question the integrity of, the validity of a practice or a person. To scold means to find fault angrily, to chide, to reprimand, to tell a person everything they're doing is wrong, to criticize angrily someone who has done something wrong in their mind. There is no ministry or call to impeach or to scold one another. Satan has that office. He's the accuser of the brethren. Let me just help you out here. Before criticizing any brother, minister, pastor, ministry, before you do that, first, go out and invite 100 people to your church. Go out and witness for an entire month to get people saved. And then if you still want to give your criticism, fine. You know what will happen? You won't have time to be the critic of the house of God. You're too busy keeping the primary purpose. Are you here? You won't care who's right about this. You won't care anymore about all the potlucks and the versions and the clothing and the music and the doctrine and the semantics and the Christmas trees and the social justice. You won't care about the building design. You won't care about methods of evangelism. You'll be too busy doing evangelism. Amen. When you get like this, when your focus comes off the primary purpose, you get critical, judgmental. It's like the Pharisees when the woman was taken in adultery. We caught this woman in adultery. Moses says we should stone such a one. What do you say? They brought the doctrine and Jesus brought the love and the mercy. Aren't you glad for mercy? Aren't you glad for love? When we're on a wrong focus, we're joyless, divisive, introspective, faithless, ungrateful, unhealthy, unteachable, uncorrectable. But when you have a primary purpose, it's inviting people to church and to Jesus, you're filled with joy and great zeal. Say, that's the Christian I want to be. The primary purpose is inviting people to Jesus, inviting people to his house. Nothing is even a close second from that for the Christian. You that are born again understand your relationship with God should be of high priority. But that relationship should lead you in to making a difference. Hey, Todd said it well today. God can use anybody. And he will use anybody. I'm going to show you an illustration of this. And just make some comments on this. And mom, you want to uh, gear up that video. But look at somebody and say, the primary purpose is to invite people to Jesus and to his church. Amen. And Chris, before we do it, I'd like you to tell the story of why me, Lord. I think it was inspired by Larry Gatlin, wasn't it? In a well, way. Uh, I was moved by a song I heard him singing in church. Was it Help Me? Help Me. Yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, it was. 
Wasn't it? Did it you was go to, at did Jimmy you, Snow's church. You uh, took Connie Smith to church, or she took you well, to she church? She took me to church. Uh, we had, uh, the night before, we'd been down in Cookville with a bunch of people doing a benefit for, uh, for Dottie West's uh, high school band or something. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then uh, Connie uh, took me over to, to church the next day to, to Jimmy Snow's church. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I had a profound uh, religious experience at, during during uh, the the uh, session, something that I had never had happened to me before. And uh, and uh, why me came out of it. It was a very personal experience then. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, 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 everybody was kneeling down. And uh, and uh, Jimmy said uh, uh, something like, "If if anybody's lost, please raise their hand." And I was I was kneeling there, and I don't go to I don't go to church a lot, and uh, and uh, the notion of raising my hand was uh, out of out of the question, <laughs> and I thought uh, I I can't imagine who's doing this, and all of a sudden I felt my hand going up, and I was hoping nobody else was looking because everybody was had their head over, bent over, uh, praying, and then he said, uh, if if anybody uh, is ready to accept Jesus, something like this. Uh, come down to the front of the of the church, and uh, uh, I thought that would never happen. And uh, and uh, I found myself getting up and walking down with all these people and mm -hmm. going down there. And, and I don't really know what he said to me. He said something to me like, "Are you ready to accept?" Uh, Jesus Christ in your life or something and I said I don't know I, I didn't know what I was doing there and he put me down <laughs> said kneel down here and and he uh, I, I can't even remember what he was saying but whatever it was was such a release for me that I, I find myself weeping in public <laughs> and and uh, and uh, I felt the, this uh, forgiveness that I didn't that I didn't know I even needed. Could we get you and Janie Fricky and Willie to to do this? We'll sing harmony. You Ooh. bet. Well, right we'll here. try. I'll do it in G, and I uh, hope I don't mess up the band again. <laughs> Lord, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown? Wasted so help me Jesus 
try me, Lord. If you think there's a way, I can try to repay all I've taken from you. Maybe, Lord, I can show someone else what I go through myself on my way back to you. Lord, help me, Jesus. I've wasted so. I wonder you to see this is it points out the enormous power in an invitation. The power in a simple invitation. Country artist and legend Connie Smith actually invited him to Jimmy Snow's church. Uh, Jimmy Snow was the son of the famous uh, country western artist Hank Snow. You probably remember the song On the Wings of the Snow White Dove. Uh, Hank Snow was doing some ministry in a nursing home before he passed on, and he, everybody was kind of tuned out when they wheeled everybody into the room he was in. And uh, Hank Snow just thought, well, they're not really connected with me, so I'll just ask him, do y'all know who I am? And a lady in the front in the wheelchair said, no, but if you go down to the nurse's station, they'll tell you exactly who you are. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> Jimmy, on the other hand, uh, not only was involved with, with, with country music and gospel music, he was called the pastor, and he reached hundreds and hundreds of people in that entertainment field through his ministry. But I want you to see here, Connie Smith takes the time to invite him. He goes to church. Jimmy Snow preaches a message. Gatlin sings a song. Chris Christopherson walks out of there a changed man. Amen. Writes a song that has impacted millions of people around the world over the past 50 years. Just a few of the comments. One person said, this song saved my life. I was a horrible drunk and drug addict from the age of 15 till I turned 38 and laid on my deathbed. I've been clean and sober for nearly 19 years and now I work for a place that helps others get clean and take back control of their lives. The power of a single invitation. Another person said, this song literally saved my life. Once when I was seven, I was hopelessly lost in the woods and scared to death. I sat down, closed my eyes and crying, started to sing this song. When I finished, opened my eyes, I got up and with the calmness I had never experienced, walked straight ahead. I walked to a little bit and walked right out to the road and was less than a mile from where I needed to be. It was then that I knew this very real was very real and I needed him in my life. To this day, I believe Jesus saved me that day. One gentleman put it best. He said, I love how the Lord works. He had dear Christian sister, a truly gifted country vocalist, Connie Smith, get Chris to a particular church that had impacted so many in country music. Then a song by Christian brother Larry Gatlin had planted a seed in Chris's heart. 
and this inspirational humble anthem was born. We can always see God's footprints as we look back at the sequence of events. But it all started with Connie and inviting him to Snow's church. Say it with me. Connie invited him to Snow's church. Fred Foster was the president of Monument Records, a big country, um, you know, I labeled years ago, and he kept watching Christofferson for four years. A little bit about him and his life. Uh, he was born to a military family. His dad uh, arrived to the uh, rank of major general. Um, he graduated from college. He was accepted on a road scholarship to Oxford, graduated from Oxford with a master's degree. Came back and they wanted to hire him at West Point. And he said, my heart's not in West Point. He said, I want to go and I want to write music for other people. So he came to Nashville. Uh, spent most of that time as a janitor writing songs for other people. Eventually, somebody actually recorded one of the songs. Eventually, uh, Fred Foster said to him, look, he goes, I want you to start not just writing songs for all these big artists. I want you to sing. And Christopherson said, you know what? I sing like a frog. <laughs> and Fred said, well, yes, you sing like a frog, but a frog that can communicate. And that's what you see in that simple little song. Um, I got acquainted with that song years ago. We lived in uh, Kent Drive in Carmel, Illinois, and my mom's habit on a Sunday morning was to put uh, gospel albums on at a decibel that would make you deaf. <laughs> Everybody in the house could hear. Forget about alarm clocks, no need. <laughs> One Sunday I'd be Dallas Home and Praise, and oftentimes it would be Chris Christopherson singing this very song. More than once, I'd go to school in the fifth grade, and I'd find myself singing that song that was so deeply planted in my head because he wrote a song, because he got saved at Jimmy Snow's church, because somebody invited him to a church service. The power of an eternal situation changed forever because of an invitation. Let's keep the primary focus this Christmas. Amen? Great if you have a favorite Bible, you know, version. You're fine, however you want to dress here. Dress up in a dress, dress up in a suit, tie, whatever. Amen. Wear your jeans, just wear something. <laughs> Years ago, when River of God Church was planted in Humble, Texas, a man who was out of his head on drugs and about 350 pounds decided to come to church that day. The problem is where he parked his Harley was ways from the church, and as he got off his bike, he began to take his clothes off. By the time he got to the back door, he was completely nude. The good news was Ben had had every head bowed and every eye closed at that moment. <laughs> but my sister saw what was going on, and the ushers quickly escorted him to a side room where she put that bony finger in his face and said, we want you to come here. You can come anytime you want to, but you're going to sit down. You're going to shut up. You're going to listen. And by the way, you're going to wear clothes when you come to this church. <laughs> Dodie Osteen called her that week, John Osteen's wife, Joel's mother. She told Tammy, she said, I would have just died. I would just die right there in the spot if a naked man who walked down the aisle at Lakewood Church. Don't any of you get any ideas? <laughs> Like the music you like, you know? Be passionate about what you believe. That's wonderful. Everybody should be. Amen? Realize semantics are just semantics. Realize you're not going to go to hell for having a Christmas tree. 
If you don't want one, that's perfectly fine too. It's not social justice and politics. It's our salvation. Jesus is our Savior. Amen. Amen. You can worship God in all kinds of different buildings because the church isn't the building anyway. It's the people. Amen. Enjoy potlucks or not. Go to them or avoid them like the plague. Your choice. Amen. Use the method of evangelism you know God is leading you to do. But whatever you do, keep the focus on reaching the unreached and telling the untold. Inviting them to Jesus. Inviting them to his church. Are you here today? I'm going to pray in, in just a moment, but you should have received some of these cards. And these actually, technically, people will call these invite cards because you just simply say, hey, you know what? We're worshiping God around Christmas, and we want you to be you know, part of what we're doing here. Everybody say the primary focus. Primary. Everything else about Christmas is perfectly fine. Enjoy yourself. But what a great Christmas present someone would have if they, like Chris Christopherson, walked into a church yes. on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And their life was forever changed because you took just a couple seconds to put that in their hand. Amen? Amen. I want to just uh, ask you to stand with me, if you would, and just uh, worshipful attitude.